The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. Colossians chapter 3, this afternoon we'll be looking at verses 20 and 21, but I'd like to begin reading back in verse 18, and we'll read down through verse 25. What you're about to hear is the living and active Word of God. Please give it your full attention as it's read to you this afternoon. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there is no partiality. Well, this is indeed the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Before we go to prayer, let's uh, keep in mind our dear sister, Ginny O'Connor, and her family, as we did just receive word that they'll be taking Chris off of life support later today, I think. So be praying for them as they walk this very difficult stretch of, of life ahead of them. Our great God and Father, we come before you as your children and we plead with you to hear and answer our prayers in accordance with your infinite wisdom. Lord, we pray that you would be with our dear sister Ginny and that you would be with her family and that you would be the God of all comfort to them during an immeasurably difficult season. Father, we ask that you would show more kindness. You are kind. Show it in their life powerfully. We pray that you would sustain their faith, that you would show your goodness even in the midst of difficulty. Lord, we pray uh, for our own hearts this afternoon that you would work mightily in this church for your own glory and the good of your people. We pray that we would not be a people who come to your word and look into it as a mirror and see the things that need to change and must change and yet walk away unchanged. Lord, we don't want to be that kind of people. We don't want to continue in the things that we are so often plagued by. We want to be shaped more and more into the pleasing image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would do that as uncomfortable and difficult as it is at times. We pray that you would work. We pray that you would work on the things that we love and the things that we do and the things that we say. We ask all of this in our Savior's great and mighty name. Amen. Well, I have uh, not been on the earth been on long enough to know I don't want to drink an open water bottle. I'm not, I'm not nearly as old as Brian. But I've not uh, lived very many years, and yet I think 
I, I don't think many of the more mature saints would argue with me at this point. It seems, in my brief experience, that the institution of the family is more under attack now in our country than it ever has in the history of our country. Now, you might st- like take a step back and say, well, why is that happening? And we'll get to that why in just a minute. But, but consider the, uh, the, the ardent, intentional ways in which the world, and, and it, specifically in our country, as a, I'm sure as well as in other countries, uh, the family is not just incidentally attacked. The family is actually intentionally attacked and torn at from really all sides. It, it, while it might seem a lifetime ago, it was in the middle of the uh, BLM, and that's not speaking of the Bureau of Land Management, but uh, the, in, in the BLM uh, nonsense that happened just a few years ago that you could find on their website that one of their specific goals was to dissolve the nuclear family. In a movement that for a, a moment seemed to be sweeping across our country, uh, posted for all to see was this commitment in the way that they would use their money to those ends, we will attack, undermine, and, and seek to dissolve having a father and a mother who love and care for their children. And that's not just the only ways in which the family is being assailed with the, uh, well, divorce would be one of the greatest ways in which the family is assailed. But consider beyond that now the state saying in many occasions and instances that they have more rights over what happens to your child than you as the parent has. What is that if not a bold-faced, unapologetic attack on the family. You might say, well, why is that happening? Why is it that the world hates the family so much so that it seeks to, to tear it apart? I think, the, I think the answer is uh, more simple than we might think it is, and yet upon reflection, I realize, well, actually, it, it, that's actually a really serious thing. If marriage, a husband and a wife, uh, being in covenant together, was created by God to be that, that, that institution that points forward to the gospel, I think you would then have to say, by necessity, the family, the natural uh, expression of a marriage, also points to the gospel. It's not like God said, you know, man, I really would love an illustration of my son and his bride. Or, yeah, see, I can't even talk about it without using the, uh, the analogy of it. Uh, I really want to show you how Christ loves his people. It's kind of like marriage. No, that, that, that's the wrong way around. He created marriage with the intention that it would then point us to the realities played out in the gospel. I would argue the same is true of the family. Was it not the Lord himself that taught us in the new covenant of which we are all in, that when you pray, you should pray like this. Our, what was the word? 
That's a family kind of word. And just as marriage is created, I think, to exemplify and illustrate the the glories of Christ and his people, I think an argument can be made that the family, loving parents and obedient kids, also do uh, exemplify and point to that same gospel. Now, considering that, is it any surprise to you at all that both of these things are being attacked by the kingdom of darkness? The world hates the gospel of Christ. And how foolish of us would it be to think that these things are merely incidental or like things that, the well, the world's not really into it, so it's, you know, it's not their preference, and so they, no, no, it isn't nearly that innocent. They hate God and all things that then point to God. Sadly, the world is not the only one with such a low view of the church, of, of the family, excuse me. The church herself can have a low view of family. The church herself can fail to see how the roles of parents and children also point to these beautiful realities. The church herself can sometimes, or at many times, have a low view of parenting or being a child, and they just think it's a necessary part of life without realizing the beauty and the glory and the majesty of these things that we, we touch and are experiencing every single day. There's, there's mystery and beauty in family and in marriage that because it's such a common thing, We've lost a sense of awe and a sense of the serious obligation and duty that it is. And one last thing before we actually get to the, the, the main thing of the sermon. The attacks on the family are not simply external. There are internal attacks as well. Just as the efforts of institutions like Black Lives Matter or the overreach of the state or uh, of all the things on the outside that wage war on it, there are also things inside, inside a family that can tear that family down not as quick but more quickly than those external ones. And Paul, in the, by inspiration of the Spirit, lays out two of them today. Children who refuse to obey the God-ordained authority in their life, their parents can tear a family down from the inside. And parents who insist on provoking or nagging their kids to death can tear a a family down from the inside. And while a, a, a strong family can endure the attacks from without, the ones from within are far more deadly. And so you might say, wow, this is going to be a real bummer of a sermon. I can tell already. Yeah, yeah you're probably right. But I, I want to push towards uh, the beauty of it as well. Yes, these things are important. Yes, these things are under attack. But we need to, to uh, gain or regain a sense of awe and the, the uh, beautiful responsibility and privilege that it is to be involved in a family. You are, if you're in Christ, you are a new creature, or more technically, you're part of that new creation. And you're living your life out 
in that new life that you have in Christ, and at times you would maybe wonder, I wonder what new covenant, new creature kind of life looks like. And Paul says, wonderful question. Here's what it looks like. It looks like children by faith obeying their parents, and it looks like parents by faith not provoking their children. And in the beauty of that, there are far bigger things being represented to a dark, fallen world. You get to show one by marriage how Christ loves his church. You get to show by family the, the, the warmth and the inheritance and the privilege that any son of Adam or daughter of Eve can have as their own if they repent and believe in Christ. You get to show that to a world that needs to hear that by the way you do the most mundane things in the world, the living out of life. And so children and parents as part of the new creation ought to then live differently. That's that main idea we want to push uh, this afternoon and we want to consider it under two headings. First would be this children reflecting the very glory of God. Children reflecting the glory of God. If you would just look down at your Bibles in verse 20, this is not rocket science, exegesis, or hermeneutics. The very first word is children. Now, if we're not careful, what we might do is we might miss the specificity or the intentionality of that. Kids, the very word of God is addressing you directly today. There are some sermons or texts in the scriptures where you're, it, it's, it's a few steps down the application road to get to the point where you're like, okay, that's how it would impact my life. There's no steps. If you're here this morning and, and you are a child, you have parents, it speaks directly to you. And so it's like step one, that's yours. It's directing, it's, uh, it's kingly exhortation right to you. So don't be thinking about other people. Don't be thinking about your siblings. Think about it for yourself. It's always easy to be like, I wish my brother. No, no. The word of God addresses you. Recognize it as that treasure to you today. What are you as a child told to do? Well, you're told to obey your parents in the Lord. Now, you're hoping, now maybe as a kid, you never thought you would come upon this this desire during a sermon where you're like, Pastor Daniel, I would like to know what the Greek says on that. Because I'm hoping that somewhere in the intricacies of the Greek language, it, it means something other than what it sounds like it says in English. Your, your request is heard and granted. It means to obey, to follow instructions. You might say, I... Is there any other alternate uh, uh, translation? No. This isn't an ESV or an ASB thing. This is a every good English Bible kind of a thing. You're commanded to follow the instruction of your parents. This is a repeating of what is said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and Deuteronomy 5, 16, the part of the Ten Commandments, that fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother As the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it might go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is 
giving you. Those two things, obeying and honoring, go together and, as the Bible would see them, are inseparable or ought to be inseparable from one another. You are called to obey or follow the instructions to do the things that they say to do, there's a positive, and to not do the things that they tell you then not to do, and not just beyond that, but you're told to do it in a certain manner that is honoring, respectful to your parents. Now, before you start to kind of maybe tune me out and think about what you're going to do this afternoon, listen to the very weighty words of Deuteronomy 5 again. As the Lord your God commands you. There are many things in this life that come by way of recommendation. This isn't among them. There's many optional things in life where you could pick one of many and be uh, just as fine. Life in some avenues is a buffet that you can say yes to one thing and no to another. This is not one of them. This comes to you from God himself, directly from Sinai in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, and as repeated in the, in the uh, epistle to Colossians and to Ephesians and in many other places, this is not a foggy area of Scripture, kids. You're commanded by God to obey your parents. Now, it's such a common or regular thing that we can tend to think that It is not important. Regular does not mean not important. This is desperately important. And it's important to have both elements to it. It's important to have both the obedience side of it, you actually do the thing, and the respect part of it. You are not fulfilling an obedient life before the word of God, kids, if when your parents give you instruction, if you do them, but your breathing changes. When I say breathing, what are you talking about? <sighs> <laughs> or there's something all of a sudden on the ceiling that your eyes then roll up to look at. There's many different options that you could pick from. Or maybe you're really good at controlling the outside, but inside, very different. The Word of God calls for obedience and respect. And those two must go hand in hand. Now, you're called to obey your parents, plural. That means that if dad is nicer than mom, you still obey mom. Or if mom, and this is probably the better way around, is nicer than dad, you, would, you actually don't get to pick favorites You don't get to go to dad, receive an answer, and say, like you do to your doctor, I'd like a second opinion on the matter. (laughs) I can remember in one occasion, my little brother, this is not in the notes, which means it's good. Um, (laughs) He went up to my dad and picked a moment where dad was distracted. Those are hard to find, but he picked a moment where dad was distracted, and he asked dad, hey, dad, could you say yes? And my dad goes, yeah. And he walks away, and then... Uh, realized that he'd probably just been conned and said, what did I just say yes to? And to find out it was something that mom gave a very clear, well, no, 
to. That's not the way that we conduct ourselves, kids. You don't get a shop for the better answer. You don't get to pit parents against one another. You are to obey both mom and dad, regardless of which one you think is more uh, favorable towards you. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask a question, and it is a, a bit of a rhetorical question, which means you shouldn't say it out loud. I feel the need to say that. Is it always easy, kids, to obey your parents? You can see why I said this is just in your heart. Yeah, no, it's not. I have parents, and they're wonderful. They were not easy to obey. And they're not easy to obey for two reasons. They're sinners. And so am I. And guess what happens when you have two sinners in a house together? They don't always easily get along. And so it is not as though God is saying, because he's not saying it, children obey your parents when you agree with them, when you like it, when convenience is unfolding before you. You're to obey them. You might say, you don't know my parents. You're probably, you're probably not the way you do. <laughs> They're your parents, not mine. Does God ever teach us as his children that our obedience is predicated on our situation around us? No. And so if you're sitting in your pew and you're like, you don't understand my parents are hard for all these reasons. I, 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 to some degree, I believe you. Your whole life will consist of obeying God when it is very difficult to do so. That's not something that magically evaporates when you become an adult. Ask any of the adults. They'll say, man, don't even get me started on the government, my employer. I mean, any list of things. It is not as though our environment is in this, in a, a proper excuse for our disobedience. It's not. And you'll find out in marriage that that's really the case. Because the same folks that blame their parents, guess what they do when they get married? Nothing changes. And the same ones that blame their spouses when they get old are blaming all sorts of, I mean, it never ends if you're going to blame your circumstances. You are called as a child to honor and obey your parents, which would include even the way that you speak to them or speak about them. It would include both of those. There is a, 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 a deeply important lesson here, kids, that the way you respond to the God-given authority of your parents, and he's the one who gave it to them, mirrors, or is an expression of, how you uh, respond to the authority of God itself. Because God's the one who gave the command. God outranks mom and dad. All right, and, and if ever they contradict God, you remind them that God outranks them. Do it carefully and lovingly and make sure there's this in your hands when you do it. But if ever that arises, uh, God outranks them. And so the way that we respond to them is actually reflective of our hearts toward God. If I could adapt a little bit of what First John says, I actually think it, it works 
on a parallel manner. 1 John 4.20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he's not seen. There, there's, a, there's a logic to it. If you say, I love God, and yet that doesn't manifest itself with the brother that you can see, the person you can't see, then, well, the first statement's false. A similar thing is true, I think, with uh, the way you treat your parents' kids. How can you say, I obey the authority of God whom I cannot see, when you refuse to obey the authority of your parents that you can see? There's actually a link between the two. Now, you might say, I don't really think of it that way. I understand. I, I was a kid at one point too. I found it tough at times to obey. That doesn't negate the thing itself though. The way that we treat our parents is a mirror or a reflection of our disposition to God. Not because our parents are God. They're certainly not. But because God's the one who commanded it. And in doing the one, we respect the other. In the working out obedience with regards to our parents, it's actually a greater obedience to God. Now, if you look over at verse 24, you might say that's not talking about kids, it's talking about slaves. Well, I think there's a parallel to verse 24. Look at verse 24 of chapter 3. Um, or don't do that because it's the wrong verse. Look at 22. They're not to, be, uh, the bond servants or the slaves are not to respond by way of eye service. Now, I think there's a parallel that could apply to kids. So, um, there are some ways in which children obey when mom and dad are around. That magically is different when they're not around. Right? Moderate nods of, oh no, he knows. Okay, yeah, so... Uh, uh, I won't give many details about it, but, but I'm familiar with how this works. Uh, we, at one point in our past, um, were aware of a family who, when uh, mom left, there were certain clear dictates as to uh, the piano being practiced. And you could hear when mom drove away, the piano stopped. And then there was like this familial liturgy, this ordering of events that happened. We would hear the dog bark footsteps running across the house and then Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer getting played and then the front door opening. And what was mom uh, led to believe? That the same kid that was playing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer when she left had industriously practiced it. Well, that's eye service. Why she never wondered why the kid was out of breath and sweating playing the piano, I will never know, but... That's not obedience either, kids. Obeying only when mom and dad are watching or in ways that they'll only find out is not obedience. Now, there's, parents are probably resting a little too easily right now, so let me give a brief uh, admonition to parents. Uh, parents, it is uh, not cute or acceptable when your children misbehave and disobey you. It's not. We live in a world where to discipline your, ki your kids is seen as unthinkable. Or, well, they're just being kids. You're like, no, that's called a brat. They are different. 
You are teaching your kids, and this is, I say this as a parent feeling the weight of it. You're teaching your kids that the authority in their lives, ultimately, which would be whose? God's, isn't really that important. So maybe you don't care about whether they uh, obey or disobey. I would argue you do more than you probably admit. But uh, when they rebel against those authorities in their life, that is betraying a spiritual state that should be alarming, not simply because you've been crossed, but far on a much bigger level, because ultimately we want our children to love the authorities in their life and obey them so that when they read of God being a father and God giving commands to be followed, that they would have been trained by us to receive them. And when we endure from laziness or inconvenience or whatever the reasons would be, when we endure unchecked disobedience in our kids, we are not raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We're we're not. We're simply not. I am so very thankful that I was blessed with parents who disciplined me regularly and refused to accept disobedience, and refused to accept uh, disrespectfulness. To this day, if I'm not paying attention, my dad addresses me, a yes sir erupts because you were taught that. Some of the older, I, I still call some of you older folks, sir, On it's just so ingrained in the way that I was raised. We ought to be raising our children this way, to respect parents, and the elderly alike. Now, kids, I want to bring some encouragement. You're like, well, about time. All right, why should you do this? You're like, I've been asking myself that since I was born. You'll find an answer, and it's glorious. Look at verse 20. Kids, if you got your Bibles, look down at your own Bibles. This is a promise for you. A gift, a gem, a treasure for you. This pleases the Lord. I know so many of the kids in our church, you, in your heart of hearts, want to please the Lord. And I believe you when you say that. I do. One of the ways, and at the stage of your life, a primary, not the only way, a primary way in which you can live a life that God is pleased with is to obey the parents God gave you. Isn't it wonderful that the, the small, little obediences to mom and dad of taking out the trash and going out to the backyard and taking care of the things that the dog makes every day, those little obediences, the Bible says God smiles upon and is pleased with. Now you and I were made, created to be pleasing to God. So when we do that, it's as though we're doing, it's not as though we are doing the thing for which we were created to be pleasing to God. The small obediences and respect that children by faith render to their parents 
the text isn't shy about it. This is pleasing in the Lord. What a promise. Even though the thing itself was so little, and you might say, or frequent. Yeah, it's frequent too. You frequently get a chance to live a life that accords with the way that God commands. In so doing, children, you reflect and point forward to the way that Christians should respond to God. You actually serve as that, that shadow or foreshadow or, or sign that points ahead to an object. You get to play that out by faith in the kitchen, in the hallway, in the back, everywhere. You get to do that. Kids can breathe a sigh of relief. Parents, time to um, not be so comfortable. So, Secondly, parents reflecting God's glory. I know the parents were hoping, like, well, we could end early. And kids should keep the amens to a a bare minimum uh, at this point, too. So, your parents didn't say amen, at least where I couldn't hear them. So, uh, you repay the favor. So, looking down at verse 21, it says, fathers. Now, moms, before you get too comfortable. Uh, Fathers is, is Paul giving this dictate simply to dads. And mom's like, hey, words, the, the Bible says it. I believe it. That sells it. Th- that might well be. However, if it's only for dads, and we haven't unpacked it yet, to not provoke their kids, I don't think the reverse is true. I don't think it's like, dads, you can't do it. Moms can do it. Do it all day long if that's what you want. But only that. No, no, that's not. The reverse isn't true. Also, there's an occasion where uh, the Bible will use the plural term for father, so fathers, and the context bears out that it is uh, applicable to both sets because it only makes sense, right? I mean, I know in our day we have to, like, unpack this, but um, when it says Moses' fathers hid him in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, he didn't have two dads, It's a plural form, meaning mom and dad hid him, right? There are times where this is a normal use of the Greek language. In fact, the the most famous of the lexicons, Bideg, categorizes this use as a use that would apply to both. It might emphasize one over the other. It might, I think, emphasize dads a bit more than it emphasizes moms, but it is applicable to both. You might say, well, then why wouldn't he use the generic a word, parents, as he did in verse 20, your parents, plural, and it's its own word. Why didn't he use that in 21? I think it's a fair, a fair question. I think he did it for two reasons, and these are just kind of my thoughts on the matter. The first is this. Perhaps, especially in the time into which Paul was writing, dads were more prone towards provoking their kids. The dad in this culture that Paul was writing had absolute authority over everything in his house to a level that would be quite alarming to us in our modern age. So it might be that perhaps dads are more, um, not on the nurturing side of things, but maybe more on the um, provoking harsh side of things, maybe, And so the stroke of conviction falls a little heavier on them. 
I will say my mom was definitely nicer, but that's neither here nor there. Maybe you, upon reflection, would be like, it makes sense why he said that. So the second might be this as well, a sense of authority. If the first was emphasis, the second might be authority. If mom is provoking the kids, guess under whose oversight that would fall for correction? Not the child's, but whose? Dad's. So dads are not only to do it, I would argue they're not to uh, tolerate it in their house. And the one that would be the corrector in that case wouldn't be the kids arguing back. It would actually be dad intervening and bringing order to the house in that sense. Now, too many, well, we'll just continue that same thought. I will say this, far too many dads provoke without repenting then later, their children. There are dads who, who verbally just nitpick their kids. And never, it, it's never over things that are right or good. It's only just a perpetual rollout of all the stuff you did wrong. That's wrong. It's also wrong for a dad to sit passively by while mom does that and not address it. Far too many dads know it's happening in the house and don't do anything about it. Both are wrong. Both are outside the boundaries of scripture. Both are not to be found in God-fearing families, right? So what does he mean by do not uh, provoke? Well, it means to irritate either by, this is a definition that I found, either by nagging them or by deriding their efforts. The, the parent who uh, just verbally, or sometimes they can say a lot with eyes, I've found out. Parents say a lot. There was a look that mom gave you in church that said paragraphs. Uh, you know, I still duck when I see that look from my mom. Either with their look or posture or their words, always riding their kids into the ground. The word of God, parents, says to you, do not do that. And you might say, but I'm my old man. I thought with the kids I said, don't blame your environment. The same applies here. It doesn't matter, really, ultimately, with regards to your obedience, how your parents did or did not do it. What matters is your submission to the word of God in your own life. You can't go back and change, take away or add from your childhood. It is what it is. You can't add or take away too many of the pieces around you. It just is what it is. Stop trying to change things that you cannot change and stop blaming things. Owning up for your own responsibilities before God, honestly. And stop putting the blame either on your parents or on your kids or on your spouse or on whatever. Parents are not to act in ways that provoke, stir up, or kind of arouse disobedience and rebelliousness in kids. Sometimes, and here I'm tipping my hand on maybe too many things, sometimes when I encounter families who are having problems with rebelliousness, I want to ask, yeah, the kid needs to own their sin, absolutely. 
But is there provocation that's happening that is stirring this up as well? I think it's a fair question. I think, it's a, I think it's a really fair question, given what Paul is saying in verse 21. So, why would parents provoke, nag to death, or deride their kids? I have five ideas. You might be like, five? Good grief. This is probably just scratching the surface. But I, I sat down and I thought, why is it that this is something that, that we as parents, I'm, gu- I'm guilty of this too. I don't know of any parent who's not been guilty of, at times, um, sinning against their kids by provoking them or nagging them to death. So here are just some ideas as to maybe some of the motivations as to why and when we do this. And maybe it will do, it'll help us in alerting us to the times in which maybe we're prone to sin and identifying it early and avoiding it. The first would be this. Um, I can provoke my children when I am responding to the stress in my own life wrongly, right? I've had the bad day at work. I'm not feeling well. I come home, and rather than them being like, Father, your presence is like the sun rising, (laughs) I am greeted with a different scene. My barefoot steps on a Lego that was like, whatever it is, it happens. You all know it. And I choose when the castle of my comfort is assailed to release the dragon, to chase the peasants back to their room. We do this. We sin when we make an idol of comfort, and I'm willing to sin to get it. By snapping at my kids. My kids, now now parents, and I say this in the presence of your kids. If your kids cannot remember you asking them to forgive you, something is greatly wrong. If you insist that they repent properly, and you should, when when was the last time your kid heard you say, dad was wrong? When he did this, will you forgive me? That is humbling when they're four. Probably doesn't get any better when they're a teenager, honestly, but I'm not there yet, so (laughs) my imagination will just have to connect the dots until then. So the second reason why we might provoke our kids is we want to uh, control everything around us, including our kids, so we do it in an effort to bring about a level of conformity. Some folks, it's just they have to control everything. And kids are a control uh, nightmare because they're their own persons. I know that might be shocking for some of us in here. The Lord was, he taught, I told my wife I wasn't going to say this, but we're here anyway. The Lord was kind in that he gave me a beautiful, exuberant, full of personality firstborn who taught me early Oh, she's her own person. And I don't have a whole lot of control over this out here. To strive to control the elements around at times can be the temptation to provoke them. Thirdly, uh, we can provoke our kids when we see too little or too much of ourselves in them. Depending on your personality, it's different for each. 
the, the things I see of my wife and my kids, I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. They're lovely and kind. And the things I see of them that are me, I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, why do you got to be like that? I mean, it's, it's, I don't like seeing the things in them that are like me are kind of the things that get on us. That can be a humbling thing to think about as parents. Um, or if they're too different, we want them to be made in our own image in, in ways that they just weren't. Fourthly, we can see our kids as, and this is the hardest one for really good church-going families. I'll just be honest, this is probably the biggest one on the list. We see our kids as extensions of us. So that when people see them, it is as though they are seeing me, and I've got an unachievable, self-righteous standard that I then put on them. Parents, this is a hard one. Your kids aren't you. Your kids will make mistakes. Your kids, um, your, your kids will sin. And there will be times where it will be to you embarrassing or difficult to, to, to bear. Tearing them down then in front of those people is not the answer. Publicly shaming your kids is a means of provocation that the Bible says not to do. Discipline needs to happen. Have it happen at home or in private. Don't embarrass them in front of other people. That, that, it happens way too often, and it comes from pride. I know, because I'm a sinful parent. Fifthly, we try to live through our kids. Either getting them to do the things that we did or perceive that we did, because they're not always right, uh, or wish we had done or wish we had not done. So many times we want our kids to either uh, do the things we always wish we could have and didn't, so we foist it on them, or we don't want them to do the very same things that we did, and we can use provoking measures to uh, bring that about. Now, those might be reasons why we provoke them, and, and Paul actually then gives... Two reasons, I believe, as to why we shouldn't do this. And with this, we'll close. I use that very broadly. So, it was a joke, but too close to the truth. Okay. Notice, notice what Paul says in verse 21. Do, parent, fathers, parents, do not provoke this little phrase. Your, your children. You might say, okay, so I can have an arrangement with other parents in the church. I'll provoke their kids. They provoke my kids. It'd be a swap. Like, no, he's not worried about other people's kids. I actually think there's a subtle argument for why you should not. They're your own children. They came from you. They are flesh of your flesh. That's not how you treat them. They're your own even if they are uh, uh, not a natural-born child, but a child that God has given you through adoption, they're still your own. They, by God's grace, belong to you. Don't provoke them. Don't provoke them. The second argumentation is this, that they be, lest they become discouraged. Now, uh, as much as I do love the ESV, and I've not been shy about that, that's not the best translation. When I read of discouraged, I think of kids like, oh, I'm kind of bummed out. Like, no, that's not, 
there are times in which we properly correct our kids and it's not like the funnest thing for them. Just like it's not fun when we get corrected, it's not fun for our kids when they get corrected. I don't like it, they don't like it, man, no one likes it. If you like getting corrected, you're weird. And like, God wired you differently, awesome. But it's not saying that you never cross your kids. Parents are given by God to be corrective in proper ways. What he's talking about here is needlessly nagging or driving them into the ground and then that being the instrument by which they're discouraged. The word he uses is dispirited. It means uh, crushed. Don't crush your kids. There's correction that happens and needs to happen. There is counsel that is given that is not welcome. There's guidance that is given that they don't always want to hear and they may not be happy with you. That's fine. Some parents are way too intent on being their kids' friend over being a parent. You're a parent first. God uses you to bring about correction. Paul isn't um, saying that. What he's saying is there's ways, and we know how to do them, of crushing our kids. He says, don't do that. Don't crush them. God didn't give them to us to be crushed. Now, if we could, now here's where the parents are like, you encourage the kids at the end. Where's our, all right, here's the encouragement at the end. Well, there's like a discouraging part first. You might say, well, you're being the parent that he's warning us about. Well, I'm not your parent. So, is there a way where we ought to be asking ourselves, with regards to the way that we parent, is God such a parent to me? Put it a different way. Does God crush you? No. Is God firm in discipline with you? I hope so. Hebrews says some uh, scary things if there's no discipline of God in your life. But God disciplines you. But, but, but does he crush you? No. He's a loving father. You are called by God's word to mirror that, to be a loving parent. Now, something switches, and grandparents, like, this is a lot easier for them, and so maybe they're, like, making, I don't know. But uh, they also are to love their children and their grandchildren, which grandparents means don't give your kids or your grandkids toys that make noise. That's not love. It's not love at all. That's provoking your children, even though they're adults. But marvel at the, at, at the honor that is yours, parent. You get to be a father or a mother of this gift of God that he gave you as a sign that points to a much better greater father and a wonderful blood-bought child that the world needs to see. They need to see parents loving and discipline both together so that they would know more about the gospel that we proclaim. You get to do that. You might say, I'm not worthy of that. I say, you're right, you're not. 
But that, it, that's what makes it grace. It'd be called wages if you deserved it. it does, it's not called that. It's called grace. It's called a gift. We as new covenant fathers and mothers, and if you are uh, in Christ kids, as new covenant children, you get to engage in family life in ways that declare to the world and to each other the excellencies of the gospel. You might say, it's hard. I'd argue the gospel shines brightest in the hard obediences than in the easy ones. It's in the the chaos of life where we see bright things shining out. It's in the patience of parents that we see glimmers and shining of grace. It's when kids obey flawed, errant, frustrated parents that faith is seen brightly there. So I want to encourage both kids and parents to not take family life as though we're a small, mundane, pointless thing. It's a glorious privilege that we should encounter, or undertake with just both arms, knowing the thing that it points to, as well as knowing this. It might feel like forever right now. Having talked to some older folks, it's about that long. It's a season. And I, for one, will miss it when it's over. I'll miss it when my kids have their own families and are off spread out across the Carson Valley. Right, kids? Let's go ahead and thank God and pray. (laughs) Our great God and Father, help us as parents to love and discipline our kids as you love and discipline us. Father, help the kids in our congregation to obey their parents. Lord, the things you call for in your word, we confess that they are often so hard for us in our sin, and we need your help. As children, we need help. As parents, we need help. We need your spirit at work in all of us to shape Christ more fully in us. So, Lord, please work in the families of Grace Community Church. Please shine forth the the wonder and the truth of the gospel by the way that families interact with each other. Help us to feel the weightiness of it. Help Help us to feel the joy of it. And the wonder of this privilege. Lord, help us not to deal with sacred things as though they were too common. But help us to see the gifts and the season of the gifts for what they are. Gracious gifts from you. Lord, please work obedience in our hearts, we pray. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.